2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Hi, Kate. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Uh, We have been talking to a financial planner, and he has suggested a variable annuity uh, to supplement some of our other retirement investments. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know what your opinion of, of that kind of an investment is.
1: Tell me a little bit about your situation, and maybe I can fine-tune my answer.
4: Okay.
1: How old are you?
4: Fifty-nine.
1: You're 59 years old. Oh. Are you married or single? Married. Married. What's your income?
4: Uh, about nine. Well, now it's very much lower than it used to be. It's about uh, 65000 a year now. Six,
1: and that's coming from the husband or the wife? The husband. That's coming from the husband. Is the wife getting a, make, is she, does she bring any income in?
4: Very small amount.
1: All right. Now, the wife or the husband, who's 59. I am. The wife is 59. How old is the husband?
4: 61.
1: Husband's 61.
4: And he will be fully retired when he reaches 62.
1: All right. So his income is going to drop next year. Yes. All right. Now, looking at retirement income, well, first of all, let's well, take...
4: Let, let me back up. His, his, he's partially retired now, which is why his income has already dropped. All right. But actually, his income should increase when he's totally retired because of the investments we have.
1: Well, I'm going to ask you about that next. Okay. But I want to know about the guaranteed income uh-huh. uh, from his pension, and is he going to take early Social Security, or what's he yes. going to do? Yes. Okay. So what is the estimated guaranteed income could be next year when he's 62?
4: Uh, I, I only think in after-tax terms, Okay. <laughs> so that's what I'll give you. All right. It's about 50000 a year.
1: All right. So it could be about $50,000 guaranteed, and then what are your living expenses on an annual basis? Uh, I imagine the financial planner went over that in depth with you. You know what? What?
4: I, I don't know the answer to that question. I could do it, but not... I'd hold you on the phone Well,
1: too I long. mean, when you met with your financial planner, didn't you spend a lot of time going over your expenses? No, we didn't. Then you didn't meet with the financial planner. Okay. No, you must have met with a salesperson.
4: Well, actually, it was a salesperson. Okay. And he's the one
1: who's trying to sell the right. Well, we want to be very careful about definitions. You see, uh, we want to find out a financial planner plans, uh-huh. and they and a, a, a true financial planner, a certified financial planner who is charging you a fee for the time you're spending there with them, whether it's an hourly fee or a fixed fee, which is the only kind that you should be seeing, by the way, that kind of planner should start with your living expense needs and then back into the kinds of questions.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: For the moment, let's assume that your expenses are fifty thousand a year.
4: Well, they're not, but anyway,
2: we'll
1: assume right.
4: that for the okay. exercise.
1: Right. Most people underestimate their expenses. Uh, you have to build in there your desired number of vacation, uh, travel expenses. That many, many people travel more after they retire. Gifts to the children, uh, clothing, all the other things that happen. Mm-hmm. But if you're saying that you're absolutely sure that his pension. Uh, and Social Security is going to cover your lifestyle with all the the, the luxuries that you may or may not want, then you don't need to touch any investment income. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's the case, let's go over to the investments. What do your investments look like right now?
4: Well, our investments look look very good.
1: No, I mean, what are they?
4: Oh, what are they? (laughs) They're bonds, uh, mutual funds. All
1: right. How much do you have in bonds?
4: Uh, I'm just looking here because I've got all that written out. Uh, in bonds.
3: Mm-hmm. We've
4: got eighty five thousand in one bond fund. We have uh about five thousand five hundred thousand dollars.
1: And what else do you have? Is that is that the main is that is that the majority of your portfolio?
4: Mm, uh no, we've got another uh fifty nine thousand. Uh we have two IRAs, one's eighty two thousand, the other's forty nine thousand. Mhm. Uh we have some other stock investments that are around 300,000 in various stock stocks and then my husband's profit sharing which he owns his own company
1: mm-hmm. at
4: this point is 310,000.
1: All right, you've got a rather complicated situation when the numbers start building up and you 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 you've got a terrible portfolio. Uh it looks it it just it 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 really I don't like it personally, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the air going through each of the items. But overall, it looks to me like my, my real question is, why are you going to for a, uh, a a variable annuity? Because a variable annuity, although it will let you defer income, I mean defer paying tax on the growth, it's going to also be taxable in your estate at the time that you die and there'll be no step up in basis.
4: Okay. So well, that's, I mean, we're, we're considering it, but uh, that's why I was calling yeah, you for your um, opinion, an, an, too. Yeah,
1: annuities, you understand a variable annuity is an insurance contract. Right. By the way, which one are you looking at?
4: Uh, I'd rather not go into that.
1: Because <laughs> that's the crucial issue. You see, a variable annuity is an insurance contract that wraps around mutual funds. So it's the funds themselves that are the most important part, not the insurance contract. Mm-hmm. Annuities are insurance contracts that work sort of like a non-deductible IRA. Uh, You can put in as much as you want, but taxes are deferred until you take it out. Uh Now you're 59, so you don't have to worry about the 59 penalty. You can start taking money out when you want, but you're paying a charge for an annuity. Uh Uh, Unlike a fixed annuity, which guarantees a conservative rate of return, a variable annuity lets you pick your own investments from the different menu of mutual funds, but your return is going to vary according you know, to the fund's performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the insurance portion of that variable annuity guarantees that if you die before you start withdrawing the money, then your beneficiaries are going to receive all that you put in, but they will pay tax on the increase,
4: mm-hmm.
1: as opposed to, if you have a half a million, how much are you going to put into the variable annuity? What were you thinking of putting in?
4: 250000
1: Okay, so you put in a quarter million dollars, and since you're only 59 years old, you're a relatively young woman, uh, you live another 35 years, and it grows to be $2 million. Well, if you had a quarter million dollars in a mutual fund that grew to be uh, a million dollars, let's say, or $2 million, and, they, and you, then you then died, they would get that amount, they could sell that $2 million and pay no capital gains tax. I yeah.
4: think I need to call you off the air. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I, and I, I, I yeah. appreciate the sensitivity of trying to be specific when, when confidentiality sometimes is very important to people. But I hope that gives you at least something to start with. It does. Yeah,
2: uh-huh. and you know, Kate, we're real happy that you and your husband, you know, you're. I'm sure you're hardworking people. You've accumulated these assets. You've been blessed. But... You want to have some direction, right? Right. So that, you know, whatever his exit strategy is from the business, and, of course, when you all decide you're not going to be working...
1: That's next year.
2: Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. When you wanted to to just be retired and travel and do the things that that you that interest you at this stage of your life, that you'll be able to do it with ease. Mm-hmm. And uh, working with a financial planner, and, and particularly a certified financial planner that's fee-based, can assist you in helping... You and your husband get that direction. Yeah, Kate, if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to go through that in detail. Uh Uh-huh. That number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay. Bye-bye now. Well, what else is new in the world of investment planning? Well,
3: there was a really interesting article in Investment News uh, this past week by Mary Beth Franklin where she was talking about something that we experience every day in our office, which is that the majority of retirees roll funds out of 401k plans and more than 80% who move money worked with an advisor. And it seems the majority of boomers who work with financial advisors are choosing go and opt to move their money to an IRA in an attempt to improve their investment performance and consolidate their assets. This was according to a survey released recently by the Center for Retirement Income at the American College of Financial Services.
1: The, um, the national dialogue around retirement plan, IRA rollovers, and the proposed Department of Labor rules uh, to raise investment advice standards on retirement account is continuing. There's no doubt about that. And that's according to a recent survey, which is exploring the actual behavior of individuals who face this big question, rollover or not rollover.
3: Yeah, and the study found that the majority, 62% of recent retirees with substantial assets in a defined contribution plan at retirement, choose to move their assets out of the plan. More than 8 in 10 did so with the help of a financial advisor.
1: Yeah, the vast majority of consumers that were surveyed recognized the importance of the rollover decision, and they were indeed careful about their decision-making. The
3: survey found that those who rolled money over with the help of an advisor were more likely to have a comprehensive retirement plan that reflected retirement income planning strategies, including an estimate of how much income they will receive each year, where that
2: income will come from, and how long it will need to last. The American College survey demonstrates two important trends, that there are millions ...of soon-to-be-retired Americans that are interested in working with a financial advisor. And most of them are looking for guidance beyond investment advice. They want to know how do they turn their savings into a reliable income stream that will last a lifetime... And some want to have broader discussions about retirement planning that might help, that might uh, include health care costs and legacy plans and estate planning.
1: Actually, clients are looking to advisors for guidance on when to claim Social Security benefits, which Medigap plan to choose, but there's at the same time an apparent gap between what clients want. And what advisors are providing,
2: and so you know the study certainly uh, lends itself to many of our listeners who are in the pre-retirement planning stage. That's that right, was, and yeah. that was why
1: we opened up the the radio show on WPTF a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I was going to
3: say that's what everybody wants to know is is how how to how to get good, objective, professional advice so that you can make your own decision
1: with your own set of parameters. And that advice has to be on much more than just investments. It's Absolutely. got to include estate advice and all the personalized things, and it's got to include tax advice and cash flow advice, all those things that we certified financial planners. And
3: that are integrated within the whole world of your financial planning. You know, when you decide to take an income, it will affect your taxes, and the taxes will be affected by the investments you own. If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office, nine. 9- 919-872-7000. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand.
1: Thomas, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you this evening?
5: Hello, Doug. Um, I've been checking on some information about complex trust.
6: Uh
1: huh.
5: The living trust and wills.
1: Uh
3: huh.
5: And my understanding is that the complex trust is a common law trust, which was uh, came out before the statutory law trust came out. Well, I knew I'd heard you mention about Uh trusts. I didn't know if you were familiar with the complex trust that uh, use the common law instead of the statutory law that most of the lawyers that you go to now try to write you up a trust under the statutory law.
1: Well, I think you're probably getting yourself in a little deeper than you want to and getting over your head with a confusion of terminology. Let's come down to your situation, Thomas, and I'll see if I can tell you what you need to do. How old are you? I'm 58. Fifty-eight years old, and I. Uh, are you retired or are you working? Um, uh, I work. All right. What's your income, Thomas?
5: oh uh, I have no idea, really, Doug. I'm.
1: You have no idea.
5: I'm. I'm self-employed and dealing a lot of real estate.
1: All right. Well, you know, you have to file income taxes every year, right? Right. Okay. So you know how much you made last year? Not really. Well, boy, that's what sort of you. You need to be a lot more aware of your situation, Thomas. What are you trying to achieve with a trust? Um, what are you trying to ac- what are you trying to accomplish?
5: Just uh, information, really. I've got some, some friends that uh, has been talking about trust, and we're trying to get some more information about them.
1: uh, Well, the world of trust is very complicated. They break into testamentary trust versus inter vivos trust. And from testamentary and inter vivos trust, they then break into revocable and irrevocable trust. And the question of common law or uh, statutory law is irrelevant. That has nothing to do with the question of trust, Thomas. What you really need to do is to get a better handle on your situation and what you're trying to achieve. And then I can tell you... What type of trust is best for you?
5: One thing, there's uh, some people out of
1: California that's trying to uh, market national trust services. Right. I think they, they they peddle something called a living trust.
2: Are you trying to protect yourselves from estate taxes? or I mean, do you own a lot of real estate? Is that part of the uh, issue? Yes, millions of dollars worth of real estate. Okay, so would it be fair to say that maybe it's a, a $3 million estate? That's,
5: that's real small, ma'am. One thing is this, uh, this trust services say that they have ways that, uh, you can sell real estate by setting it up in trust and assign, assign the real estate to another trustee, swapping like that to avoid the income taxes. Well, wow. also they set up a charitable trust where if you have any, any, um, profits, say for a year or so, uh. Whichever year you have profits, then the profits go into the charitable trust. Charitable trust contributes, I believe, 5% of the income for charity. The
1: rest of it it is in a charitable trust. Yeah, you That's what I'm trying to explain to you, Thomas. You're getting yourself very confused. We do these for a living in our office.
2: Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: We do charitable trust. We do credit shelter trust. We do revocable living trust. But my my point is that you need to to know what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to sell real estate and not pay capital gains tax, then a charitable ta- trust will work for you. On the other hand, okay, just
5: okay, that's uh, that's one thing because it'd be it'd be nice to be able to retire and right sell, sell right. a lot of assets and not
1: uh, not have to pay. Right, we can do that. We can set up a charitable remainder unit trust where you go ahead and transfer your real estate or whatever it is that you're worried about has a high capital gains tax into this charitable trust. And then the charitable trust can sell it and pay no capital gains tax and turn around and start paying you and your wife a lifetime income for the rest of your lives. The risk there is that you want to make sure the trustee is someone that you trust. And the way to solve that one is make yourself your own trustee. Okay. Now, the problem with that is you have to have an administrator who will administer a self-trusteed charitable trust. And there's no company out of California that's marketing that sort of service. You have to come and actually find an administrator who will administer a self-trusteed trust, and you want to have one designed. And I would give you our office numbers if you would like because that's exactly one of the things that we do. We, we believe in setting up a charitable trust where you are your own trustee and then we find an administrator so that you control everything. The, the, the one thing you have to be aware of in setting up a charitable trust with yourself as the trustee sure. is if you want to pass this estate on to the children, right. you need to replace what you put in the charitable trust with insurance because after your death… Everything in the charitable trust, even though you've controlled it during your lifetimes, it's going to then go to a charity. So you want to set up a second trust, which is called an insurance trust, To replace everything. So now let's say you've got $20 million of real estate. You put $20 million of real estate into this charitable trust. You can sell it inside the charitable trust and pay zero taxes on it. And now the income from that $20 million can come back to you and your wife for the rest of your lives. And that could be as much as, oh, uh, a million and a half a year income to y'all. Then at the same time, however, you want to set up a second trust that owns a $20 million life insurance policy that will go to your children after you, the two of y'all die. Those are usually second to die insurance policies and they're a lot cheaper than regular insurance policies. They don't pay off until the second death. But by the same token, where you get the the money to pay the premium on that insurance policy is from the cash flow from the first trust that's paying you a million and a half a year. You see what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. That will solve the estate taxes That will solve the capital gains taxes. And that may be the one you're thinking of. Now, the revocable living trust is the one that most people are seeing being, there's a company in California that's marketing those. And that saves probate expenses and confidentiality. That one has no tax benefits, has no capital gains benefits, has no benefits like that. But that one does keep the public from knowing at your death what your spouse received.
2: It may be to your advantage to use someone locally. I mean, you know, what happens is that people generally, they'll go to all these seminars and they come home and then their head is spinning because they just, they get so much information overload and then they wonder, well, how does this relate to my situation?
1: Aside from that, the trust must be drafted by a North Carolina attorney if you're in North Carolina who is knowledgeable in these areas and, and if you don't, if you, I mean, that's one of the things that all attorneys will warn you about working with out-of-state companies that deal with your local laws in this state. All right.
2: And so, you know, and you need to have your your whole estate analyzed so that it's appropriate for your situation. So, why don't, if you'd like, you can call us at the office, Thomas. Our number is eight seven two seven thousand here in Raleigh. That's USA7000, and we'll be happy to provide you with more information if you'd like. Okay. Okay? All right. And thanks for calling.
1: Thanks very much. Thank you, Thomas.
2: Well, what else is new in the world of retirement planning?
1: Well, you know, spending in retirement is actually a balancing act. A lot of people don't think about the spending in retirement because they're in the accumulation phase, but spending in retirement is a balancing act.
3: It really is. How to spend down your money may be the missing link in your retirement plan. This is because nearly two-thirds of savers approaching retirement don't have a strategy for which assets to tap first. Among those already retired, one-third don't have a drawdown strategy.
1: Yeah, what's sort of been beaten into their heads is save, save, save. And it really doesn't occur to most people until they just get a few months out before retirement to ask themselves, well, how do I take what I've saved and then turn it into income?
3: And this failing to plan can be an expensive mistake. The worst or the wrong spending moves could result in an unnecessarily large tax bill, for example, or deplete your retirement savings more quickly. There's really no one-size-fits-all strategy for what assets to tap, in what order and proportion, and how much in total to withdraw in a given year. This all depends on factors such as your asset mix and balances, and your income needs, and your age. Your expected timing for claiming Social Security might also affect which drawdown plans you use first.
1: I'm glad you said that, Deborah. that uh, there's no one-size-fits-all because uh, the the move towards uh, robo-advisors and computerized programs just will not do this. You can't, because every client is different as they move into retirement. There are certain things that are uh, the same, and that's the possible sources of income. I I guess there's six possible sources of income, right, Lynn?
2: Exactly. Uh, Most people will depend, uh, firstly, on Social Security. All right. Uh, Secondly, some folks will have a pension income if they happen to have a pension while they're working. Then, thirdly, there's always a 401k. All right. Uh, fourth, an IRA, and right. uh, individual IRAs that you may have. Fifth, uh, gross, growth investments. All right. Sixth, income investments such as REITs, BDCs, bonds, and alternatives.
1: Yeah, so when we start looking at this is what does fit everybody, the possible places to draw the income from. Now, to craft a plan, you have to think long term. One of the cornerstones of good tax planning is to think about things over more than one tax year. Now, the way we approach it, we break your investment portfolios into two. There is the IRA rollover, which, of course, is going to be your 401k that rolled over, your other IRAs. That's going to be one uh, big pot. And the other big pot is going to be the personal portfolio, the non-tax qualified portfolio. And once we get it down like that, we then look at your income sources. And we say, they're always going to be one of either guaranteed incomes. Like Social Security or a pension. Right. And then we're going to have predictable incomes. And that's going to
3: be uh, investment income, investments that are by design, To generate income.
1: Right. Those income investments, those REITs, those real estate investment trusts, those BDCs, the business development companies, the MLPs, the ones that are designed for income, the bond substitutes. And then, of course, the last area would be... Just investment income. Income that you want when you are selling investments. That's right. That's like taking withdrawals from your mutual funds. So we have guaranteed incomes, predictable Predictable incomes, and we have uh, withdrawals which is not necessarily predictable. And then we balance that against what are your needs, your your predictable monthly lifestyle. And it's called a plan. Then tapping taxable brokerage accounts first is often a smart move because long-term capital gains are cheap tax-wise, anywhere from zero to 20%. But if you have substantial savings in a retirement account, starting withdrawals before the RMD, Can help reduce the amount that you have to withdraw in later years, reducing those tax obligations.
3: Yeah, there's that, and then there's that golden era between 59.5 and 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 70.5, where you have the most control over your taxes. You won't be hit with any early withdrawal penalties, but don't yet have to take your
1: RMD or required minimum distribution. Ideally, you should start thinking about the spending side well ahead of retirement by making sure you have a good mix of accounts with different tax implications. Think retirement accounts where distributions are taxable as well as non-retirement options such as those brokerage accounts. And the sooner you start thinking this way, the more flexibility you can give yourself.
3: That's right. So call us at Lewis Financial Management because this is exactly what we do as a crucial part of your financial planning.
2: That number to call in Raleigh. We're located in Midtown, Raleigh, 919 That's 919-USA-7000 at Lewis Financial Management, LLC.
1: Solomon, this is Doug and Linda Lewis. How can we help you this evening?
6: Uh, Yes, Doug and Linda. Uh, I wanted to know your opinion on uh, how does the mass get to investment capital with the job situation? And will we ever get that without the manufacturing shoes, clothing, furnishings? And, uh, and and the like.
1: I'm not exactly sure if I understand your question, Solomon. How old are you?
6: I'm as 86, but I'm concerned about my three generation that's under me.
1: So you're concerned about your children or your grandchildren? Uh, I'm uh, 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 both. Well, give me some numbers to work with. Uh, give me an income, and and I'll see if I can help you through it. On income? If you're if you're talking about one of your children, what's uh, what's the, what's his income?
6: Mm-hmm. Well, what well, you see, uh, what I was what I was trying to get after is uh, how are they going to ever get those jobs that's going to pay them enough to live on, and, and then have investment capital.
1: So, are you saying your children don't have jobs?
6: Well, they have jobs, but oh.
1: they, but they don't. Okay, well, I can tell you how to do that. I can't solve the, the the whole problems of the economy, but I can solve the problems of any individual that comes in my office. So it you always have something to work with. We are stewards of whatever comes our way. So let's say that your son has a job. He should have certain principles in place. Probably if I analyzed his expenses, I'd find out he's throwing away a lot of money on things he shouldn't be throwing away money. Uh, he should prioritize He should pay himself first by setting up what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. 10% of whatever he brings in should be set aside for his future. He's got to be planning for his future. Uh, And we always recommend that for clients. If they can do more than 10%, then they can do more. But first, we have to analyze their expenses. We break them into three categories. right, Linda, what are those categories?
2: Um, Recurring monthly expenses.
1: That's the things that he spends every single month gasoline on the car, how many times he go out to eat, groceries, all that stuff.
2: And then the um
1: the discretionary discretionary. Then things that are not monthly, those are what, what are the examples of they?
2: Um vacations, um gifts, if he, uh, gifts, if he goes to the movies for entertainment or
1: Clothing. clothing, all these are. So we want to go ahead and build a pay yourself first automatic investment plan of ten percent or more, based on looking at his recurring income and his monthly expenses. Well, and,
6: the, we know how to manage our assets. The problem is that uh, the, the people that's investing money now are uh, made this money twenty, thirty, and and and, and more years ago. I'm, I'm I'm talking about my, my, my 30 and 40-year-old.
1: Well, we have a lot of clients that come in our office that are in the 30s and 40s, and they want to know how should they go ahead and make sure that they will have enough to reach financial independence and not have any problem. And there are principles that we put in place no matter how little you make or how much you make, no matter how young you are or how old you are, there is a solution to the problem, and we're seeing them come in our office every day.
6: Well, the the, the problem right now is how do they get <laughs> into?
1: Well, they we? can call. How do they get into my office? Well, no, oh, they can. No, no,
6: no. How do they? What do they need to do? Or what
1: needs to happen? I need to see them face to face in my office to analyze their expenses, and then I can tell them exactly what to do. I can do it that way, but I can't go ahead and solve all the problems generically of the nation. But if, the, if you will have them call me at 919-872-7000, or they can also go to our website. Our website is DougAndLinda.com, and then uh, I can meet with them and see exactly if I can go ahead and give them the kind of advice you're looking for
6: numbers down, and you've been very helpful, and and I'm much clearer now than I was before I called.
1: Thank you so much, Solomon. You have a blessed day, and I'm looking forward to talking to your kids. As ever.
2: Take care. Thank you, Solomon. Have a wonderful week. Thank you very much. Good night. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Doug, you know, education is the best way to combat any myths that are out there. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I have been uh, pleased, Linda, of being a myth buster, (laughs) because you're exactly right. There are so many myths out there, and education is what is needed. And I would say that there are four retirement myths that need to be busted.
2: You know, Doug, uh, people in America, earlier you were saying how great this country is, because it really is the land of opportunity. It is. And every day... Even though there are, you know, a crisis situations out there and a lot of stress, every day people are working and they're accumulating and they're taking care of their households with the dream of doing what George is doing, being in retirement. But it takes certain principles, as you said earlier, that you have to put into practice to be able to realize whatever those dreams and those goals are. But along the way, as you're in retirement, you have to be doing certain things, right? Well, let's back up to
1: before retirement, because the question of myths focuses very often on before retirement. Now, the first myth is that you can put off savings for retirement until you're middle-aged. And (laughs) that is just not smart. An early start allows you to benefit from the power of compounding. I think it was Einstein that said the eighth natural wonder of the world is the law of compound interest. But compounding, I'll, I'll give you a couple of hypothetical examples. Let's take two people, a Jill and an Edwin, and they both save the same amount of money in their firm's retirement plan. One saves $250. Well, they both save $250 a month, okay? And both of them earn the same annual return. The only difference is that she, Jill, begins at 36, when she's 36 years old, and Edwin, he waits until he's 46. When they both reach age 65, Jill has $329,000. Edwin only has 148000 investing the same amount of money starting that much earlier. So that myth of Put off savings until your middle-aged needs to be popped. So what's the action step?
2: You need to start saving today.
1: Start saving
2: today. It doesn't matter near, what age you are.
1: <laughs> you know, George was mentioning our little girl Naomi, and Naomi now is in her 30s, but she started a pay-yourself-first investment plan back when she was in high school, and she still does it to this date.
2: <laughs> she started, she took her dad's advice. And she's still doing it.
1: You can't start too early.
2: And she's a little mom out there.
1: <laughs> myth number two.
2: All right. Well, the, uh, the second myth is that if you get a late start, you're doomed. Mm-hmm. Not true.
1: Not true. All right. Now let's take a, take the other side of it. All right. I'll give a, we'll make him make his name up. We'll call him Len. Okay. Len delays. He delays for whatever reason. He doesn't have a job for a period of time and so forth. Anyway, he doesn't start until he's 50 years old. But he decides he's going to put the pedal to the metal. All right, well, let's say he does that and he doesn't start until he's 50. You know, by the time he is 67 years old, assuming his money grows at 8%, he will have $926,000, almost a million dollars. So the myth that you can't, you're doomed if you get a late start, needs to be popped what's the action step
2: save as much as possible
1: as much as possible the later you start max out as much as you can
2: so basically what you're doing if you're saving as much as you possibly can you can make up for that late start you can consider saving as much as you can and perhaps even the maximum that's allowable
1: you know our first caller tonight linda asked the question of um what about uh, his kids and his grandkids? And then I told him, I said, well, really, there's, no two, there's, there's no, nobody who can't do it. And I said, we need to go ahead and look at a pay-yourself-first plan.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website,
1: dougandlinda.com. The pay-yourself-first plan is, it can be customized to anybody, and when I have people who are starting late, what I like to do, Linda, is I like to recategorize their expenses into their recurring monthly expenses that you talked about earlier in the show. I call them RMEs, the recurring monthly expenses. And then from there, bring in what's your recurring income. I don't even look at the non-monthly stuff like vacations and gifts. And that delta, that difference is the maximum that you've got to work with. And that may change each month or in, in down the road, if you're going to take a vacation, you got to change it. But pumping that maximum into an investment plan, whether it be 401k plus a personal, but if it can all be captured, then you can do it. So the action item on starting late is maximum, as much as you can. Okay, myth number three.
2: You can live on Social Security benefits alone.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid that is a myth. In fact, Social Security, according to most of the studies I've seen, is going to replace only about 40% of the average retiree's pre-retirement income. And so, that means there's another 60% that you've got to make up on your own, and that's your responsibility, definitely. Don't depend on Social Security. Myth number four.
2: If... You'll need a lot less money when you retire to maintain your lifestyle.
1: You know, Lynn, this is really significant because I have, as you know, I think recently I computed that I've I've met with uh, 10,000 appointment contacts face-to-face with clients through my career, and many, many of them move into retirement, and they do not spend less. They spend more. They they take vacations. They have much more recreation expense. Their medical expenses go up, and so thinking that you're going to spend less—that is a big myth. It needs to be
2: uh, popped. I think some people think that, Well, I'm not going to pay as much for transportation or that clothing. is true. Sometimes, yeah, but, but by it, and large, you're going to spend more.
1: I know. I have, I don't have a single client that is not spending quite a bit more than they were when they were working. And
2: sometimes it's just helping out the grandkids, right?
1: That's, I mean, you never know. But you definitely should not plan on spending less. So what's the action?
2: You need to make a budget.
1: Get a budget. Get a budget. Itemize the expenses, recurring monthly expenses, non-monthly expenses. Work with a certified financial planner like myself in such a way that we can help you see what are your lifestyle expenses and so forth. And those are the four myths that I think need to be debunked. And you, the only way you do it is with education.
2: Exactly. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And we've enjoyed our callers this evening and hope you have too. So if you've got questions, write them down or call us at the office at Lewis Financial Management. Speak to. Uh, deborah or speak to myself or whoever answers the, the phone and we'll be happy to set up an appointment with you so that we can get you on track with your financial planning whatever your situation may be it may be that you need to update your will or maybe you need you've gotten so wealthy you need a revocable living trust well let's do something about it and also if if you uh, are selling a business or maybe you've inherited some money, you've become a widow or a widower and you need some advice on what to do to um, continue your life, call us at Lewis Financial Management and our number in Raleigh is 919 872 and visit our website at dougandlinda.com.
1: Chris, how can we help you this evening? This is the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. What's your question?
2: Well, uh,
7: I've always put money in my 401Ks, things of that nature, which have been available to me through my employers. Um, currently, I've been contributing to a 401K for about the last year, year and a half. Uh, I've taken a small loan against it to, as a down payment for a house. I uh, currently have about 11% growth on it this year. And um, I am on short-term disability.
1: And Let me back up months. for a second. Did you say you took a loan against your 401k for a down payment on the house and then later became disabled?
7: I have been put on, on short-term disability for the last four months. We'll be returning back to work in about two months.
1: All right. Um, I don't have to tell you that, of course, you did the absolute no-no that we always tell people on our radio show to never do, never borrow against your 401k. But that's, of course
7: yeah that was you know it was a it was the thing that we thought'd be a better investment on the house than what it was on the short term uh because we weren't growing
1: yeah <laughs> so and and then the reason that we warn all of our listeners, and I hate to use you as the guinea pig Chris, but the reason that we were we warn our listeners against doing that is just the very thing that happened to you. Suppose you become disabled now you've really got a problem, you should never do it, you shouldn't have bought a house, you should have continued to rent. But oh, that...
7: I, I, I agree. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that aside. <laughs> uh, but, but now I'm in a situation to where my income is 100% commission. All right. Um, I get a small draw. Uh, okay. let, let me rephrase. I get a small draw, which typically is enough to cover, um, you know, my, uh, I have a wife and two children, so it's enough to cover our medical uh, and, you know, things as far as that nature um, after taxes and everything else. I'm going to be starting back to work here in about two months, uh, as long as everything else keeps going the way it is. Being that I am commission-driven, I will not receive a commission check for two months after, because I'm a monkey behind, two months after return back to work. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out, and I kind of got the idea here, should I, what can I do to fill in that gap if I should borrow against my four hundred and one k a little bit again to be able to survive for two months,
1: let me ask you. Let me ask you a few quick questions because you got yourself into a really tough situation. I'm really sorry about the disability, Chris. All right, so uh, and you're on straight commission, basically feast or famine income. Uh, what is? Tell me a little bit more about yourself. What is the expected income?
7: Um, I typically um, bring home about a hundred thousand a year.
1: All right, so about eight thousand a month is what you generally bring home before taxes. Okay, and as far as uh, you've you've accumulations, you've accumulated nothing, I presume, except in your four hundred and one k.
7: Yes, as of currently, yes.
1: Okay, and your home, the one that you put the down payment on, uh, tell me the facts on the home.
7: It's um, when I purchased it. It was a short sale. Um, it market's kind of gone down. It's uh, one hundred and sixty five thousand. What I purchased it at. I owe about one fifty left. I've been in there for about a year, year and a half. Uh, monthly mortgage payments about 1400 a month, a little bit over that.
1: All right, so you still owe $150,000? is right. Mm-hmm. And it's,
7: and we're, we're doing a 15-year at three point
1: one right, that's another mistake you made, but that's also history. Uh, the fair market value, so there's virtually no equity in the home is what you're telling me. Currently, yes. All right, so you can't go ahead. I would have had you go ahead and take the home equity out to live on until you get your commissions back. Uh, but you haven't got any equity left, and you have nothing in the way of savings.
7: Oh, no, no, I, I apologize. I do have uh, money in my savings, and I
1: am... How much do you have in your savings?
7: Uh, currently about 3000
1: About 3000 a month. I mean, about $3,000 you've got in savings. But not sixteen. And, and what are your living expenses?
7: Uh, right around three
2: thousand a month.
1: All right, uh, so you're good. For, so you've got enough to cover yourself for one month, mm-hmm. and then you're hitting the skids again.
2: How much was in the four hundred and one k? Uh, I got about sixteen, seventeen in there now. Uh, I
7: have a remainder of about a five thousand dollar loan left. Um, mm-hmm. it, and I, I did not, I did not. Uh, I'm repaying that loan. Is what it was at a small interest
1: rate. So well, it doesn't sound not, to me like you've got any moves uh, other than to go ahead and, and take more out of the 401k because if indeed you need $3,000 to feed your wife and two kids and you're good for one month and you're not going to get any uh, commissions for two months and you have no savings other than enough to cover yourself for one month then and you have no equity in your home that you can borrow to cover yourself... It sounds to me like the only thing you've got is the 401k. There are no moves left.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's
2: 919-872-7000. Can your wife get a part-time job? Or well, she does work full-time as well. Oh, I she, see. She is okay. working full-time. I apologize. But she
7: only brings home maybe, um, I'd say about 14 um, uh, um a month.
3: Well, if he does take the option of the 401k, Doug, and he has 5000
1: yeah. What I would do, first of all, is I would go ahead. He's got to go ahead and and, and, and take and make another loan. He doesn't have any choice. Uh, of course, I'd stop contributing, Uh Oh, in my house. I have. Yeah, yeah, see. but but it doesn't matter if you're not bringing anything in. There's nothing to contribute because it's a <laughs> salary reduction. So yeah, you know, so six percent of nothing is still nothing. The uh, what I would do to try and get his 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 world back under control is, I think, I would go ahead and uh, take these immediate emergency moves, then go and see if he can refinance the house at a thirty-year loan.
2: That's what uh, I was that thinking. Would,
1: that would lower his payments right. and give him a little extra breathing room uh-huh. and then start paying back that, uh, the money back into the 401k uh-huh. as soon as possible. Uh-huh.
3: But with these moves, uh, I'm sorry, was it Chris? Yes. yes. Chris, with these moves, you're going to want to coordinate all these pieces because you're going to want to, as soon as the income's back, you're going to want to repay, refinance the house, repay the loan, and then start contributing again. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces.
7: And, and I was contributing before I went in, uh, out of work. Uh, I was contributing about 6%.
1: What uh, kind of, of match do they my... give you? Zero. Oh, well, then you shouldn't contribute anyway. Yeah, you should never contribute to the 401k unless there's a match. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, you'd be, you're much better off contributing to your own portfolio. We call it a pay-yourself-first plan. I don't say you shouldn't be contributing, but instead of contributing to a retirement a uh, plan controlled by your employer, you should contribute to your own uh, investment portfolio to build up something for situations just, just like, like this. this. That's right, exactly yeah, right. right. Because
2: if, Chris, if this is Linda, but if you had been contributing a portion of your income into a mutual fund in your own name and not in the retirement plan, then you could ask, access that. Without a It alone. would have been liquid and you could have used it, you know, for your emergency.
7: Okay. And, and I have met with financial planners here in the past of looking at doing that, and uh, it's always the, we'll do it later type thing, but I guess it hit me in the hind end when I didn't see the Well,
1: job. now is... Yeah, I don't think there's an urgency at repaying that loan mm-hmm. either. Uh, he can't do anything about He can't free up the, IRA, the 401k because he's still employed. If he loses his job, then they will net yeah. it out against it anyway. Right. Uh, so,
7: that's... And, and, and that is an option just to be as uh, transparent as it can be. I do have another option uh, here in two months of going with a def- different employer, which would liquefy, I guess. The remaining
1: of my 401k it would it would allow it to be rolled over into an IRA it's not a bunch of money it'd be about ten thousand dollars I think you're figuring or something like that but it would let you start again I think you may want to go ahead and try and schedule an appointment with us if you'd like to uh Deborah can give you our information and then maybe a consultation might help you at least see it from another view but uh that's the probably the best news I heard you say is the ability to go ahead and start from scratch at another employer
7: okay and then just pay whatever the taxes are and either roll it over to an uh, an uh, IRA or something as far as that nature
3: well there'd be no tax chris you would just roll it into an IRA so because it's already got a custodian the 401k has a custodian you okay. would just take you would just roll it into your own individual retirement account right now it's
1: in your employer's retirement account
2: yeah but you, so when it rolls prefer, over there'd
3: be no tax
2: would what
7: about you prefer the, a regular IRA or a Roth
1: no no, yeah, no, 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 no. First, no. you only have one choice. A Roth okay. is, is is also a no a, a no gainer for you because to do a Roth, then you have to pay tax.
3: Right. Okay.
1: But so to go ahead to do what Deborah said is 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 the only and the best option. Right. You you right now in your four hundred one k there's about sixteen thousand you said. Yes. And you and the one. loan is about how much? Five. About five. Five thousand. So what what happen at the time that you terminate employment? They would go ahead and tell you you have the option to take your 401k and roll it into a normal what we call a rollover IRA tax free, but the five thousand would be right away eliminated okay. from the sixteen, and they would and you would roll over eleven thousand tax free.
3: That's right. So it would be netted out. Correct. So there okay.
2: wouldn't be tax on the loan. No. Okay. It would just be paid off.
7: Awesome. Now, now it, because I'm struggling, I guess, for the month or something as far as that nature, would it make sense to take against that a little bit to be able to cushion myself for that little bit of time or no?
1: That's hard to say until I see everything. I'd like to go ahead and look at all of those expenses. Okay. But I, okay.
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going back to the office if you want to talk later tonight, but if you want to call me Monday morning, that's, tomorrow morning, that's fine too. It's 919-872-7000. 919 872 7000, and we can get a little more
2: information, talk about the particulars, and you know, try and help you with the next few steps. And be encouraged, Chris, this is just <laughs> a season, it's going to pass, and you know, you'll be back in full swing. So, we're rooting for you. Not
7: a problem. i will more than happy to talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. All okay. right,
2: take care. Bye. Thank Thank you so much for calling. No problem. Thank you. All right. Have a great week. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: One of the things, Linda, that I think is very crucial is spouses having to have the money talk. I really think that spouses need to have the money talk, and they need to have it with a third party. They need to have it with a certified financial planner. Because in the typical division of labor in many households, one spouse manages the bills and the assets, and that, of course, is natural and healthy, but both spouses should have at least a baseline understanding of the family family finances, and this seldom seems to be the case.
2: People are busy working, and then mom is usually busy taking care of the children,
1: According to one study, Lynn, 28% of couples were completely confident, only 28% were confident that either one of them was prepared to steer the family finances if something happened. Disability, divorce, death, all of these things can, you know, and we've seen them all. They can thrust new responsibilities on spouses when they're ill-prepared. But having that talk, you know, the the what-if The what-if, that's necessary.
2: It is definitely necessary.
1: And you talked about having uh, an action plan. I would say have that appointment.
2: That conversation with your your spouse.
1: And with a certified financial planner there so you can go through all the what-ifs. You begin with a list of assets. That's the first thing you need to do. The best way to start the conversation is to make an inventory of assets. You start with the financial accounts, the 401ks, the IRAs, the brokerage accounts, the checking accounts, the insurance policies, and even an emergency fund. But all of these items need to be brought to the table so that both uh, parties are comfortable that if something happens, it's not new to them. When couples openly discuss how much they're willing to save, to spend, then when disaster strikes, then they feel prepared.
2: I agree with you, Doug. It is important. And that we, you know, over the years that we've been on WPTF, we've met so many wonderful households and families, wonderful people who have taken the step in their life and have had this conversation with each other and with a certified financial planner.
1: And then we have seen the the events happen, haven't we? We've seen death, we've seen disability, we've seen divorce. But we know one thing in each case, they're prepared. And that is the comfort. We don't like to think it's gonna happen, but knowing that you have it prepared, a plan in place, gives you the comfort that you are, uh, you're prepared. Exactly. We always say, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.
2: Well, you need to prepare for the future because you just don't know. You just don't know. You know, the other day, we had a friend and he lost his brother. Suddenly, from 50 a heart 59
1: years old, suddenly passed away.
2: It it pays t-
1: to prepare for the future. That's right. You need a planner and you need a plan.
2: Call us at Lewis Financial Management 919-872-7000. Have a wonderful week everyone.